This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on this special episode of Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford, and this week we are still in full girl power mode. So Mark is not joining me, um, but we are in part two of our Women in Technology panel with Chris Staling, Deputy Director of Army People Analytics, and Captain Jasmine Furtado, a data strategy lead at the U.S. Space Force and Space Force liaison at the MIT AI Accelerator. On today's episode, we're going to dive more into government technology in general, and I get Chris and Jasmine to do a little fortune telling on where tech is headed, what advancements they've seen in their careers, and we get real with some salary talk. And just a little reminder, the views of Chris and Jasmine are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of their agencies. Now, let's get to it on Tech Transforms with our women panel. I know that meditation is really good for the monks that live in caves in, you know, in India. And I know that I should probably do it until I saw the science behind it and what it can really do for my brain. I never, I dabbled in it. I never fully embraced it. And once I started understanding why it was working and that there was like true science behind it, man, I'm all in. And I'm just thinking that's just one, one example of things that are good for me in my life that I've been able to embrace and bring into my life. Um, because I understand them. I understand how they work rather than like you said, Chris, the leadership saying, no, 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 we don't, we don't give a shit about how you got there. Just give us the answer. But now you're getting people who really want to understand why. And I would imagine that the programs or the answers that you've been spoon feeding them, the programs are becoming a lot more powerful and effective because the people who are taking those in the past spoon fed answers and now really understanding them can truly like implement them at a level that is a lot more powerful. Is that true? Yeah, I would say that's definitely true because, you know, we're working on a couple projects right now where we are trying to integrate machine learning into promotions and selections as a decision support tool. I'd never in a million years would have thought we'd get a chance to work on that data and introduce something that is an algorithm into a just intrinsically human process. Mm -hmm. But we have enough people thinking along this vein. We have enough people looking at the data we've collected about how we read records and how we read files. And they're like, there's got to be an easier way to do this. There's got to be something we can do to support the board to pull out the key insights, to package them differently, to display them differently, to to sort. And they came to us with the the question of how can we, how can we make this process more efficient? And I, and I came back with exactly what um, what the computer is supposed to do. You know, it, it doesn't get tired. It doesn't get bored. Its attention doesn't wander. And it can read things a whole heck of a lot faster than we can. So uh, let's see how we can crunch your data a little bit better into more digestible packages 
for you to review. So we keep the human in the process. We keep that comfort level. But now the humans have enough comfort with the machine process that we can actually have that it's not quite human machine teaming yet. I'm hoping that we'll, uh, we'll get to some pure instances of human machine teaming. But um, we've, got a, we've got an algorithm producing a product that's digestible mm-hmm. and, a, and a receiver on the other end that trusts it. So you guys both heavily involved in AI. Jasmine, what are the advances that you see coming up in AI? What's, be, be my fortune teller for a minute. What is the landscape looking like in the next year, three years, even five years? Where's it going? Oh, so, so I guess currently what we're seeing is a lot of actually pretty narrow cases of AI. I would say AI is at its current state, not as uh, pervasive in all industries as we probably would expect. It's definitely very prominent in quite a, in, in a select few industries, but there's a, quite a few businesses um, and just overall industries too that just haven't embraced it to the same extent. And so we still have like a long way to go until we see AI really integrated with a lot of our uh, a lot of our day-to-day work. Uh, why, of- why do you think that is? I don't want to derail. I want you to come back to that, but why, why? So I think there's, there's still a nervousness by some mm. groups that haven't used it or not as familiar with it. They're, they're not sure how to use it. Or they, they don't know how it could immediately benefit their operations because the things that they've seen it be applied in are not, they don't see the parallels or they don't mm. understand how those parallels could apply in their in their day-to-day work. So that is that's a piece. Also, I think the lack of policy and regulation on AI technology just how to utilize and integrate AI and technology into your business also scares a lot of people. Like am I going to be sued? Like that's a that's a it's <laughs> a legitimate concern of to what extent can I use this and it's also seen as an extra investment. If I'm not if I don't if I'm not using it now, I don't know, ex- and I don't know exactly how it's going to benefit me. I mean, it's a it's a it's a coin toss. If it's really going to help in the long term, I think some people may think of it like that. Then why would I put up that investment now if what I'm doing is working for me for the meantime? So there's that just near term view as well. So we conducted a survey. We being I I worked with Market Connections to pull IT mission owners within the DOD and FedCiv. And we asked them some of these questions. So what you just said, like from your own experience is backed by the data, which we all love. Just that, you know, some of the biggest barriers that we saw IT mission owners cite for not embracing AI. First, they thought it was super important and then they needed it, but they hadn't implemented it and they didn't really have plans to implement it partly because they're scared of it. They don't understand it. There's a big learning curve. There's a perceived expense. Um, And their challenges, interestingly enough, were, you know, finding root cause and doing, accomplishing everything that needed to be accomplished with a limited staff. And I'm just sitting there going, but AI can do this for you and you're not implementing it, you know? So what you just said, like I said, has been validated, and I'm sure not just by the survey that I did, but by others. Okay, so back to where do you, where are we going with AI? Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of like the in the industries that AI is really being embraced. I think those are going to make there's going to be pretty big 
breakthroughs in AI technology in those realms. Uh, I think we all know like autonomous vehicles, for example, like as we get, mm. as we mature those. Really? Are we go, are we going there? Are we going to have, I, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. Okay. Well, am I going to get an Iron Man suit then? Because that's what I really want. <laughs> I don't know, but that may be a little bit further ways away. Um, flying, like person, like individual flying capabilities, I think may be a little bit further away for transportation purposes, other than recreational. Uh, but the autonomous vehicle, I think, technology or just autonomy there in navigation, I think, is advancing. I think it is that will be pretty transformative in terms of our job landscape, how we just do what we do on a regular basis, how much time is spent driving mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. uh, or yeah. driving just to places, whether it be leisure for business and, and be, having that free time. I think a lot of people would buy into having that free time. Of course, there's still things to work out in that arena, but when that's ironed out, I think that the, that'll be a pretty big breakthrough. And then I also think more, I guess, I don't know if it's more near term or not, but the concept of the metaverse I think AI is going mm. to be very important there. I mean, AI is very foundational to both of these areas, but I think with the metaverse, it's going to provide opportunities for a lot of advancements in AI technology in terms of its in how it's utilized. It's also, uh, it, with the creation of the metaverse, I know the concept's still really new, but the potential for it to gather a lot of data and be able to create virtual worlds, uh, it's a way it's going to, be leveraging AI in, in ways that it wasn't in, it wasn't thought of before. So I think those are really great areas for breakthroughs in AI. Yeah, and thinking about like what it can do to the diversity and inclusion arena, because we can be whatever we want in the metaverse. Nobody, I mean, I can be a woman, but I can also be a lion if I want. <laughs> and interact. I know the possibilities are right? exciting, but also equally terrifying. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. There's so much unknown in that, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't discount the impact that AI and technology is going to have in these arenas. I mean, there's, of course, it, it the with great power comes great responsibility sort of thing, of course, uh, but I don't think there's any stopping it. It's just a matter of know who's going to be at the table to help shape and mold those technologies um the the who is the huge the biggest part of it yeah so chris you were nodding your head a lot and really a lot when it came to the metaverse so so where what are you seeing what's your prediction oh goodness it's hard to top the things that has been listed out (laughs) those are kind of the those are kind of the ones that are top of mind um but i think kind of looking in the personnel space one of the things we're studying is the psychology of human machine teaming. I don't think it's science fiction. I think a lot of it's happening right now, mm-hmm. even with our limited AI. Um, since, you know, we have a lot of folks that are using virtual assistants of some kind to do any number of different functions. I mean, we have virtual chat. We have, um, we have all these different type of things that we're already interacting with. So, and we've done a lot of exploration and kind of what the ethics look like in this. Um, I think that's the piece that's going to come up fast because the technology is just going to explode. We have tremendous innovators, um, both for better or for worse, who are going to go out and develop amazing things. And I think if we don't think about how we're going to use these things and how we're going to expect them to interact with us, I mean, I just, 
and is to have a policy letter out for staffing on the use of personnel data for various um, for various purposes and various roles. And one of the roles we had to include was autonomous systems. You know, what kind of data about our personnel are we going to share with these autonomous systems? Because mm. they're going to be making decisions about how they interact with us. Um, so I see a lot of interesting things happening in that space, but it's one of the things where we really have to kind of, you know, we've, we've got to get through simulation. We've got to get through the world of what if and figure out, you know, kind of how we want these things to interact and what kind of capabilities we need to build in our humans to interact with them. Because I think we're straining the technology at this point, just, you know, as Jasmine said, it's not happening. Mm. I love, let's go back to Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. And I am so grateful that I am looking at two leaders in this space that I truly believe have our best interests, our world, our children's best interest at heart and are going to use this power for good. Um, so I want to, I want to end, well, maybe not end, but I want to come back around to something that we talked about in our last episode. And that's just the disparities that we've noticed in the workforce as a woman challenges that we've run into. So statistics say that we are still not being paid. I hate that we're coming back to pay, but you know, this is, this is an important topic that we are still not being paid the same as our male counterparts. Now, I would hope that in the government, that might be better, but let me just ask you both, do you think, do you believe that you are being paid exactly what your male counterparts are being paid? Um, Chris, let's start with you. So that, that's kind of a, we're not going to take the cheaters rule out and say that because <laughs> of law and statute, we have to be. I mean, if, you know, right. Lieutenant Colonel with this so. many... Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the bigger question is um, it's not a, it's not a monetary cost. It's a, it's a, um, Oh, what, what's the word I want to say? It's a opportunity cost uh, more than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the more you look at where, you know, I'm going to talk both about women and minorities progressing through the system. Um, we see different kind of fall off points where we fail to retain them and we fail to progress. And when we look at it, it's not because of any kind of overt bias or anything that we could fix easily with policy. It's because they're not being, you know, brought in again, kind of coming back to that topic about bringing into the network, bringing into the mentorship, bringing into the opportunities. Um, they're either in branches or functions that don't typically get some of the all-star opportunities that allow them to progress rapidly or there's other things that kind of contribute to that opportunity cost. So I think there are people who are, you know, moving through the space. There are people with very good reputations who are moving through the data space, especially. But I think as an organization, we kind of have to figure out how to, how to broaden the talent bench that we're pulling from so that we don't overly constrain who we're pulling from for some of those opportunity positions. Mm -hmm. And you've seen that with the data that you're looking at, like you, this is not anecdotal. This is not just, this is what I think is happening. This is what you're seeing at a very macro level with the data. 
the opportunity. And so anytime we see, yeah, anytime we see the disparities, it's like we can almost directly pull back and look at, you know, who's in the organization, what functions are they performing? And as, as an army, we are, we are very focused on command channels. And then anything that kind of falls in as staff or key enabler. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even, the, even with the word enabler, you kind of classify that as secondary. It's mm-hmm. something that is supporting my main effort. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to challenge that a little bit, just looking at what the future of warfare, you know, multi-domain operations and joint all-domain operations look like. There's a lot of digital in those domains. And a lot of the functional areas, a lot of the talent sets that we need are, are I think, going to become a lot more front and center if they haven't already. If they haven't already, I think, you know, not at the risk of sounding a little bit doom and gloom, but we really need to focus on those areas. I would say we are, but I can't stop beating the drum to focus on those areas. Do you personally think, Chris, that you've had missed opportunities throughout your career because you're a woman? I wouldn't say because I'm a woman per se. I think it's more just because I'm an ORSA. I'm an operations research and systems analyst and I'm not on a command track. Mm. So I've, I've, you know, been lucky. I've had commanders who have, you know, seen some of the stuff that I do, seen my value and pulled me into positions where I can exercise that. But that's not true throughout, Mm -hmm. throughout my career field. So I don't necessarily want to say, Hey, look what the army's doing. Cause they've empowered me to do all this stuff. I was like, I'm one data point and I'm not a representative sample. Yeah. And just for listeners that maybe aren't familiar and you too, correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in the DOD, like the pay scale is it's whatever your rank is, that's what you get paid. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a person of color. And that's why Chris it was a very good point that it's, it's the opportunity that there's disparity in because theoretically <laughs> that pay has to be the same across the board. Right. Okay. All right, Jasmine, how about you? Um, it's not like, as far as pay goes, we just kind of level set that, but have you noticed missed opportunities or any, anything else? through your career? So I've actually seen this with quite a few, uh, quite a few people in like the technology realm. And I think this is echoing a lot of what Chris was saying in that a lot of the incentives for tech uh, professionals in the military are not equal or they don't have necessarily this, they're they're not at the same level as maybe more operational roles. Mm -hmm. Um, So in like the Air Force, you know, pilots, you have incentives to stay in for a little longer. You get little, like, I don't want to say carrots, but you get sort of, there is, there are some monetary incentives to stay in and, and, and serve for um, longer if some folks are trying to get out uh, after their commitment. But you don't necessarily see that same incentive structure. It all is different depending on what sort of career fields you're in. And I think there there is an effort, and we see it in various ways that the services to try to flag people that do have technology specializations or technology backgrounds to try to uh, focus on certain tech fields. Like operations research was one of them to try to provide incentives for folks to stay in these fields. So we're seeing a little bit more, but it's definitely not as ingrained as the incentive structure that we see in more in the operations operational community. So I think that 
and that does play a role in that disparity, not so much from a gender specific realm, but from a like job perspective from a STEM point of view. But I think all of these various disparities we see really uh, can be combated in part by increased transparency. So exactly what Chris is doing and providing the analysis and providing that that information out to the masses of what the challenges are and well, and leave it to the individual to determine what to do with it. How how is it going? Like this this is un, this is hopefully unbiased. So this, this analysis this is the information. This is the data. Do with it as what as how you see fit, and that provides incentive for those that are being assessed to make sure that they are making the necessary changes to uh, to provide the or to better their own organization, I guess, in the, in the long term and change their policies or procedures or incentive structure to be able to keep and attract the talent that they need, which we need we need uh, to attract that the minority diverse uh, diverse fields. Mm-hmm. So I think providing transparency on not just on the analysis front, but also on just the pay, just broadly speaking, outside the government, uh, there are more and more applications now where you can see how much someone in your career field is making. And I think some people want to hold that close and like, oh, I don't want to share what I'm making. I'm very much a proponent. Tell tell people how much you're making. Um, Me mentor, too. <laughs> mentor people. Tell them how much you, they are. They should be, be expecting to make in these career fields because it. If you if you don't have that transparency, then it, you're not able to stand up for yourself, and you're if you're not empowered to be able to understand like how much you are actually worth and, and allow for others to tell you that instead and dictate that for you. I think there's so much power in, in being transparent and open about you know things like pay and would definitely say leverage all the tools available right now, um, whether it be from a connection, just reaching out and networking standpoint, but also there are a lot of tools out there uh, for you to check it out yourself and really own your worth. I love that. And so I've been, I've never worked for government. I've always worked with government. I think that my pay (laughs) has been on par with my male counterpart. And we know statistically that it probably hasn't been because we did, we haven't had that transparency. And in fact, even in my own household, you know, I was raised in a house where you don't talk about money. And my first job was in a wood shop cutting on a bandsaw and it was for my uncle. And I remember when I first started, he said to me, now you're going to make $3 and 75 cents an hour. That was the minimum wage. And he said, and I don't even know why he told me this. He said, now these other guys are making this much more, but it's because they're men and they're the breadwinners. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I, I totally bought into that. And then through my career, like, I don't know. I don't know what men are making in that are my peers, let alone what other women are making. I know now, because I'll tell you what, that mentoring group that we are in, we talk about it and it's still uncomfortable. And I have friends that are very uncomfortable even to still bring it up now. And I'm like, come on guys, to your point, Jasmine, this is how we empower each other. So, oh, I can't believe our time is up. I promised you guys I wouldn't go past time. So I, we're going to have to end it right here. Nope. 
I'm going to give you both a chance to like, give us the last word here. So Chris, do you have anything that you want to add? I would say this has just been a lot of fun and I hope we can continue this and other conversations in the various forum that we talked about, because you know, I think, you know, that this comes now as second nature to us working in the data space, but all of our products become better in places where we can collaborate. So I think the more we start talking about, you know, other, other things beyond data, the mentorship, you know, training data, creating these ecosystems, creating this kind of tech vision for our organizations the better off we're going to be. Yeah. Jasmine. Yeah. Thank you for creating this forum and this, this place for us to talk about these things are very important topics. And especially for having a space for women in the government, women in the military to talk about their experiences. Like I had mentioned before, there's so much that there's so much opportunity in creating these forums to talk about, you know, our experiences, um, for, you know, widens people's perspectives of what they can possibly do in, in the government. So I think it was, uh, just wanted to thank you for the opportunity and for everyone listening in, I appreciate you giving us some of your time and <laughs> listening in on some of our thoughts. I mean, you can of course reach out to any of us, <laughs> um, as if you, if you'd like, and we can, um, yeah, we love to continue the conversation. Well, thank you because both of your LinkedIn <laughs> links are going to be in the show notes. So our listeners can connect with you guys and we will continue this series. Absolutely. We'll revisit. So thank you so much, Jasmine and Chris for taking time out of your busy schedules again to talk about these things. Um, listeners, thank you for listening in. Please smash the like button, smash the like button um, and share this episode. And we will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.